Could we have a word of prayer together as we approach the scriptures? Dear Father in heaven, thank you that the God of the Old Testament is called the Amen. Jesus Christ in the book of the Revelation is called the Amen. We thank you for Katie's wonderful rendition that used that word throughout the song. We want to thank you that you do provide for us the wealth of salvation and the depth of spiritual enrichment that can only come from you because of our indwelling Holy Spirit. John chapter 7 is right, from our innermost being shall flow a river of living water, and that's what we want to drink out of each and every day, many, many, many times each and every day. We do want to thank you for the scriptures that have made us wise into salvation, and as once again we look at them, we would ask that you might bless us as only you can, because we need your insights into doing kingdom work, and that's why we pray now in Jesus Christ's name, amen. President Abraham Lincoln had a son whose first name was Robert. And Robert's very, very good friend was a Union soldier during the Civil War. And Robert Lincoln's good friend, that soldier during the Civil War, he fought on the front lines. He fought on the front lines, the most dangerous position any soldier can be in with the bullets of going over his head, let alone hand-to-hand combat. Well, Robert wrote his good friend, uh, President Lincoln's son, um, Robert wrote to his friend uh, on the battlefield about his concern, and Robert in turn wrote back to uh, Abraham Lincoln's son about a particular situation. And then uh, Robert wrote and basically said, if you have any problems that, that you want to have addressed, tell me. And I'll tell my dad, because my dad is president of the United States. My dad is commander-in-chief. And the soldier on the front line wrote back to Robert a sentence that is famous even to this day. That sentence was, I'll probably not take you up on the offer to have you address your father, but, and here it is, it's good to know that I have a friend in high places. That expression comes from this Civil War letter written to Abraham Lincoln's son, acknowledging the fact that it's good to have a friend in high places. And today we're going to be looking at our great friend, indeed our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and he right now is in heaven, and one of his major ministries in heaven is not only to save people from their sin, that is the ascended Savior, but he is also a great high priest. And as a great high priest, he prays for us. And isn't it great to know that your name is on Jesus' prayer list? Your name is on Jesus' prayer list. So as we approach our final uh, message on the Upper Room Discourse, We'll be in John chapter 17, because John chapter 17 actually is the Lord's Prayer. Now, you know the Lord's Prayer as our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. That's actually the disciples' prayer, but you're never going to change that in your lifetime or mine. But theologically speaking, John chapter 17 is a 26-verse prayer a prayer that is 26 verses long, and it's how Jesus, as a great high priest, prays for the world, prays for you, and even prays for himself. So this is highly significant. This is highly important. 
and we're going to be concluding our Upper Room Discourse series by looking at John chapter 17. It is special for many, many reasons. For example, first of all, it's the longest prayer in the New Testament. It's the longest prayer in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul never wrote anything that was recorded that lasted this long, that is, 26 verses. Now, there are longer prayers in the Old Testament book of Psalms, but in the New Testament, the longest prayer that we have is by Jesus from his lips, all of John chapter 17. The second thing that's most important is that this is how Jesus, as an ascended and glorified great high priest, prays. In other words, he's going to pray for a list of things that are extremely important. These things should be on your prayer list and mine. Not only is our name on that list, but I want to be a little bit more specific, a little bit more detailed, and we'll see that as we uh, unfold John chapter 17 before us. It's interesting to note, thirdly, that in these uh, uh, 26 verses, Jesus prays for himself, he prays for the disciples, and he prays for 21st century Christians and those who will eventually come to Christ because we have been sent out with the gospel message to make other people come under the sound of the Bible and the sound of truth. And today, as we follow our paradigm of having two theological themes per sermon, today we're going to be focusing on the importance of prayer and the importance of the Bible in your ongoing Christian life. Now, because we're at the very end of our series, I'm going to review what we started with even last month. I took the template of the Upper Room Discourse, John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, because these are the last words of Jesus before he left them through death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and glorification. I'll be leaving next month. So these are my words to you, my sermon to you, about 14 things that should make up your Christian life. And these are the things I would hope Pastor Nathan Williams shares in the years of ministry that he'll have behind this wonderful, wonderful pulpit. As you know, John chapters 13 through 17, Jesus dropped some theological bombshells and then waited 21 epistles later for them to be developed. In a similar way, I'm going to share these 14 truths out of the Word of God, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will be the after speaker. So following on that premise and by way of review, our first message in John chapter 13 dealt with humility and holiness. Humility and holiness as Jesus washed the disciples' feet. The next two were glory and love, glory and love, the responsibility to glorify God and to love one another. That third message was on the communion service, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, and from the book of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the blood of the new covenant, the new covenant, new covenant ministry is very, very important, even as Paul amplified at 2 Corinthians chapters 2 to 4. Then number seven and eight on our list was a wonderful word, grace, and the wonderful word, gospel. How do people get saved? And Jesus said, as you know by way of review, uh, no one comes to the Father except through me. That is the essence of the gospel message. 
Then the next two, numbers 9 and 10, were the Holy Spirit and peace. The paraclete and that tranquility that only God can provide. Then last time we were together, last week we had two more concepts, abiding in Christ and fruit-bearing in Christ. Abiding in Christ and fruit-bearing in Christ. And now today, numbers 13 and 14 on our list, prayer and the Bible. Prayer and the Bible. Prayer, because this is Jesus' prayer, it's his longest prayer, it's his great high priestly prayer, so you can't miss the obvious. (laughs) Prayer. And then in the midst of that prayer, Jesus will talk about the Bible frequently, frequently, as we'll see in a second. So here is a wonderful combination as we get into the heart of the message this morning. Your Christian life, my Christian life, should have elements of prayer and the Bible. Prayer and the Bible. Now, this is like real, real easy to illustrate from the scriptures. In fact, in the upper room just last week, in the upper room just last week, John chapter 15, verse 7, if my words abide in you, that's the Bible, you will ask whatever you want in my name and you will get it. That's prayer, asking in Jesus' name. If my word abides in you, the Bible, then you will ask. That's prayer. Very, very simple. Acts chapter 6, verse 4, there was a problem with um, Apostles doing too much grunt work, expending foot-pounds of labor, and then deacons were raised up, and the Bible says the apostles will devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. Prayer and the word, the Bible, in the same verse. We have it again, for example, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and with prayer and petition, with all prayers, pray in the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Praying with prayers and petitions in the Spirit, obviously prayer. Again, in the very same verse. Uh, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, Everything is created for our good. If it's received with gratitude, because it's sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. It's sanctified by the word of God, the Bible, and prayer. And I can go into the Old Testament and do the very same thing. The point I want to make is when Jesus prayed and quoted the Bible in John chapter 17, he was doing it for a reason because that's the norm. These are key elements, key pillars of one's Christian walk, of one's Christian faith, of one's Christian's lifestyle. So let me just, for example, show you by way of illustration from the Bible, Jesus and the frequently the frequency in which he talks about the Bible. Again, just listen to these. There are probably more than you would think in such a prayer as this. The end of verse number six, Jesus says, your word. That means God's word. Verse eight, the words that you gave me. Verse 12, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Verse 14, your word. Verse 17, set them apart through truth. Your word is truth. Verse 19, be sanctified in the truth. Verse 20, their word, that is the gospel message, the preached word. So there are six, seven times in this prayer, Jesus talks about the Bible, God's word, your word as you preach it, the scriptures being fulfilled. He knew his Bible well, to say the least. 
So he was not only one who was a student of the Bible, but secondly, he prayed like nobody else could pray. And again, let me give you a quick list as I quote the verses in John chapter 17, because he talked to his father and called him by that name a whole bunch of times. But again, just listen. Verse 1, Jesus said, Father. Verse 5, now Father. Verse 11, you, my holy Father. Verse 29, you, Father. Verse 24, Father. Verse 25, O righteous Father. So a half a dozen times Jesus calls his Father, Father. And then there's terms like, I ask, verse 9. I ask, verse 15. I ask, verse 20. Verse number 1, I lift my eyes up to heaven and say, so there's not only names for God, but there's verbs of prayer, you know, ask, ask, ask. So you got to see quite obviously that this prayer is a prayer and it's full of scripture. Well, again, following that paradigm, we need in our lives prayer and the Bible, prayer and the scriptures. So let's have a two-point sermon for this morning, a two-point message from the word of God. And the first of the two, the first of the two would be A Bible or a believer's prayers follow Christ's example. A believer's prayers follow Christ's example. So what we're going to do is look at this specific prayer list of Jesus, and let's see what he specifically prays for and see if we ever do what he does. So I'm just going to go through John chapter 17 and pick out some sound bites, so to speak, better theological truths to see the topics, the subjects, the categories that Jesus prays about as a great high priest. The first on our list would be the word glorification. The first on our list is glorification. John chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come, here it is, Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So his first prayer request dealt with the glory of God. The father glorifies the son. The son glorifies the father. Therefore, you and I as believers, we should glorify the father and the son. It's not a perfect syllogism, but I think you can follow me. If the Father glorifies the Son and the Son glorifies the Father, then we should do the same. Let's glorify both the Father and the Son. And sometimes as we pray, might God be glorified in the service? Might God be glorified in this concert? May God be glorified in this special project? But every day, the Shekinah glory of God should rest on your prayer life. Because God's glory is extremely important. The shorter Westminster Confession, what is the chief end and goal of man? Answer, to glorify God and or by enjoying him forever. So we can glorify God as a part of our prayer life. We are concerned and jealous over the fact that we want God the Father and God the Son to get all the credit, credit, get all the praise all the honor and glory. Number two on our list, number two would be the word restoration. Restoration, verse number five. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Before the world was. 
In other words, the Trinity was baptized in glory before there was the heavens and the earth. In an eternal, pre-existent, pre-incarnate state, Jesus was literally glory. If he were to come down that way on planet earth, he would melt the eyeballs out of your skull. So what Jesus did is he took that glory and he stuck it into, he pressed it into a veil of flesh, a human body. But every now and then he just had to let it loose. The first time was the transfiguration, the transfiguration. And if you read the Bible accurately, when Christ was transfigured at Matthew chapter 17, God the Father was not, repeat, not sending a spotlight, a spotlight like tonight's Oscars. It was not a spotlight on Jesus making him shine. He glowed with an effulgence of glory in and of himself. He sort of rent his flesh an inch or two, and that was the transfiguration. And then the second one, much more human, much more, can I say, humorous. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas had got together several hundred, several hundred Roman soldiers to arrest Jesus. And um, Judas, as you know, betrayed Jesus with a kiss. The discussions went on and on. And um, Jesus said, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus. And in Greek, he said, ego me, I am And then the next verse says, all those hundreds and hundreds of soldiers were lying on their back with their stubby Roman legs up to the sky. How how do you think Jesus knocked over several hundred just like that? It could have been his omnipotent breath, but it wouldn't surprise me. He said, soldiers, hey, hey, soldiers, look at me. Boing! And his glory knocked him o- them over. Now, to go back to the Bible at verse number 5, Jesus says, I really want to be restored to that kind of glory. Living down on planet Earth, man, it took all my strength to keep it in. But now there's no need to. I'm crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended, glorified, and I want my glory back. That's where I belong. The doctrine of restoration. Now, by analogy, in our prayer life, Psalm 51, verse 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I have left and lost my first love. And on your prayer list, you can have a little category that says restoration. I want to go back to when it was sweet. I want to go back to when it was blessed. I want to go back... where I should be, just as Jesus at the ascension and glorification got back what he rightly deserved after a sojourn on planet Earth. Glorification, restoration. Now, number three on our list, number three on our list, protection, protection. I'm reading verse 11, dealing with the world. Verse 15, dealing with the devil. Protection, number one, from the world, Verse 11, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. In other words, there's 
worldliness galore out there, but the prayer of Jesus is protect them, keep them, guard them, watch them in your name. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil, as we taught in Sunday school, are three private tutors, three private tutors that every single person has. And Jesus is praying that that the Holy Father would keep them, keep them, protect them from the world. Mark chapter 4, verse 19 is one of my favorite verses. Mark 4, 19. It talks about three things that choke and make your life unfruitful. What chokes your life? What makes you unfruitful in life? Mark 4.19 gives us the answer, and it's threefold. One, the worries of this world. Number two, the deceitfulness of riches. And number three, the desires for all kind of things. You want to have a spiritual stubbing of your toe? and pointing off your nose as you fall down? Is it the worries of the world? Is it the deceitfulness of riches? Is it the desire to keep up with the Joneses? If so, you are a paradigmatic example of failure. The word is choked, and your life is unfruitful. Jesus says, I don't want that out of Mark 4.19. That's why I'm praying you won't end up there. And then secondly, by way of protection, to keep you from the devil, to keep you from Satan, to keep you from the evil one, which is verse number 15. Verse number 15 says, to paraphrase, I ask you to keep them from the evil one. I ask you to keep them from the evil one. Paraphrasing that a little bit. And basically, you look at that and say, I've been praying that my whole life because that's the Lord's Prayer. Because at the end of the Lord's Prayer, it says, Deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from Satan. Deliver us from the devil. And the Bible tells us that Revelation chapter 12, especially verse number 11, the blood of the Lamb, your oral testimony, and the scriptures themselves are what God uses to give you victory over the devil. You have to know your Bible. You have to have a word of confidence from your own soul, and you plead the blood. You plead the blood, the very blood of the Lamb. You are in spiritual warfare. You need protection from the world and from the devil. And Jesus says, I pray that for you all the time. Verse number 11, verse number 15. Glorification, restoration, protection, Now, number four on our list, number four on our list, sanctification. Sanctification, long word to spell by way of syllables, but extremely powerful. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 19, as it ends, that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. We have sanctify, sanctify, verses 17 and 19. We have truth, 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 three times in verse 17 and verse 19. You sort of get the idea that we are to be sanctified in the truth. We are to be set apart according to the teachings of the word of God. And sanctification is a big, long word that simply means go from and to. We call those prepositions because they are pre-positioned 
before certain nouns. So in the Bible, you'll oftentimes see to and from set side by side because that is sanctification. You turned to God from idols to be serving the living and true God and to await his son from heaven, even Jesus, who delivers us from the coming wrath at 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, and 10. Or my favorite at Acts twenty six eighteen to open their eyes and to turn them from Satan to God, from darkness to light. That's sanctification. That's the to and the from of Christian living. And Paul says, pardon me, Jesus says at um, John chapter 17, verses 17 and 19, I'm praying that the truth of the word of God would so grip you that you'll become sanctified. You'll become more holy. You'll be separate from sin and more toward God. And that, my friend, is a nutshell truth that we can rejoice in. Again, it's a Trinitarian thing. Jude verse 1, sanctified by God the Father. Can't be much clearer than that. Jesus Christ sanctifies at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2. The church of God is sanctified in Christ. And then at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And I can give you more verses in addition to the three that I just quoted. But in addition to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, verse 17 and verse 19 says the Bible does that too. The Bible does that too. Sanctify them in truth because your word is truth. Is the Bible making you a more holy person? Number five on our list, number five on our list is the word unification. Unification. Verse 11 ends that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 21 begins that they all may be one. Verse 21 ends that they also may be in us. Verse 22 ends, that they may be one. Verse 23 begins, I in them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity. One, 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 unity in us, in them. So it gets the idea that we should get along. There is that cute little poem quoted as follows. To live with the saints above, that will be glory. To live with the saints below? Now, that's a different story. Behold how good, how pleasant, how wonderful it is when the brethren can dwell together in unity. Psalm 133, verse 1. One body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, over all, through and in you all, at Ephesians 4, 4, 5, and 6. One, 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 seven times one. That's the idea, unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. But realistically, and maybe this is a spiritual cop-out, I like Romans twelve eighteen. Romans twelve eighteen, And the Bible says, if possible, if possible, comma, as much as lies in you, as much as lies in you, hey, be at peace with all men. Sometimes it is not possible. Your values, your worldviews are so different, 
And as much as lies in you, at this stage of my Christian walk, this is all the unity you're going to get out of me. I wish it were more. I wish it were better. But it's not. So, if possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men, Romans 12, 18. But we have to continue with our next concept on Jesus' prayer list, and it's the word evangelization, evangelization, glorification, restoration, protection, sanctification, unification. Now, number six, evangelization, evangelization. We'll talk about this more in a few minutes, but I'll dip you in at verse number 18, verse number 18, evangelization. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. That's the Great Commission at the end of verse number 18. Jesus says, I have sent them, that is the apostles, into the world. Verse 20, verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these 11 apostles alone, but here it is, for those also who will believe in me through their word, that is, their gospel preaching. Jesus prayed that Gregory Jack Hands would come to Christ. And you know what? That prayer was answered. I had no idea it was offered at all, but there was an evangelization that took place because my name in an unsaved state was on Jesus' prayer list. Again, the Great Commission at verse number 18, verse number 20, Jesus asks, he prays for those who will believe in me through the testimony, the gospel preaching, the sharing of the testimony of believers in the future. What a joy and delight it is to share your faith. And then lastly, number seven, number seven on our list of seven. This is the last one on Jesus' prayer list. The last one is participation, participation. I like this one, participation. Two things specifically, joy and love, joy and love. In other words, Jesus wants you to participate with him in joy and in love. I'm reading verse 13, verse 13, as it ends, that they, that is, born-again Christians, may have my joy made full in themselves. Christ's joy made full in ourselves. The end of verse number 13. We talked about this last week. I married a joy. Her name is Joyce. My firstborn has her middle name as Joy. Every waking hour, I see joy in front of me. That's good. And here the verse says, I want you to have my joy in full to joy in full is to be joyful. Then dropping down, secondly, secondly, after joy comes love. After joy comes love, verse 26, as it ends, the love with which you loved me may be in them. The same way the father loves the son, The Father and Son want to love you, and they want you to have the love of the Father and the love of the Son. That's participation. Christ, can I have some of your joy? The Father, can I have some of your love? And the Holy Spirit says, would you you like some of my peace? And the list goes on and on. We call them theologically the communicable attributes of God. The attributes of God he loves to communicate to you. 
and love and joy are certainly on that list. Okay, seven things, seven things on Christ's prayer list. He prayed for them. We should pray for them as well. Enough said. Now, secondly, secondly, having looked at a believer's prayers to follow Christ's example, now, secondly, secondly, the Bible's power in a Christian's experience. The Bible's power in a Christian's experience. And here are simply four things, four things, a quartet of things from the Word of God to see the importance of the Bible that Jesus talked about in John 17 might end up in our life. Again, we find the word, word, that's the word logos. The, the, the Bible as God's word is found at verse 6, 7, 14, 17, and 20. That's five times. The word scripture is found once at verse 12. The word truth is found twice at verses 17 and 19. It's like eight times, eight times in 26 verses, the Bible is on Jesus' mind. That's why I love to pastor and preach and teach at a Bible church. Because I'm not smart enough to do a book review. I'm not smart enough for some pop psychology. But if you like book, chapter, and verse, then I'm your guy. Because this is fun. This is joy. This is important. And that's why you give me the pleasure of doing it. So let's look at the four things that Jesus prayed about in reference to the scriptures that are to be inculcated into our lives. Number one, number one, the keeping of the word of God. Number one, the keeping of the word of God. Verse number six ends. Verse six ends, they have kept your word. The Greek word is very, very common. It's to keep. It's to guard. It's to watch. It's also translated to observe and to reserve. So what happens is this. The Bible is so valuable, and it's easy to remember. Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 119. Those are the three uh, scripture psalms in the Old Testament. But just taking those three chapters, Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 119, the idea is this. The Word of God is so valuable. The Word of God is so precious that it needs to be watched over. It needs to be guarded. It needs to be protected from the liberals and the wackos who, in the book of 2 Timothy 3.16, twist and distort and put on the rack the scriptures to make them teach heresy. As you know, I lived in Wichita for a while. Matthew Vines in Wichita wrote a great big book on the gay agenda and how wonderful homosexuality is with the blessing of Scripture. What an abomination. What an illustration of Second Peter 3.16, where they twist the Scriptures to make it say things it never meant to say. So we have a responsibility in this godless world and society. We love the Bible. It is our rule. It is our absolute. It is our anchor. It's wonderful to keep, guard, watch, and protect the word. Secondly, secondly, the understanding of God's word, the understanding. We want to keep God's word, but we also want to understand God's word. Verse number eight, very powerful. Verse number eight. For the words which you, Heavenly Father, gave to me, Jesus Christ, I've given to them. So the Father has the Bible, gives it to the Son. The Son has the Bible, gives it to us. And note the next clause, they have first of all received it, 
And secondly, they have understood it. And that's what we want to do. We want to receive it, and we want to understand it. Receive with meekness the implanted word that's able to save your soul. At James one twenty one, out of the King James Bible. Beloved, I'm bound to thank God for you because when you received the word that you heard from me, you received it not as the word of man, but as the word of God that powerfully works in you who believe. At 1 Thessalonians 2.13. The Bereans, they were much more noble than the Thessalonians because the Bereans received the word with all quickness of mind. And they searched the scriptures daily, whether these things were true at Acts 17, 11. Receiving the word is a common biblical expression. A Bible that's worn out finds a Christian who isn't. That's cute, but I'll bet on that. A Bible that's worn out, worn out finds a Christian who isn't. Receive the word of God. And then lastly, at John chapter 17, verse 8, to understand the word, to understand the word. Nehemiah 8.8, 8, they read from the book that is the law of God distinctly, and they gave its meaning and caused them to understand the reading, causing them to understand the reading of Nehemiah 8.8. 8. Ezra purposed in his heart to study the law of God and then to practice it and then to teach its statues and judgments in Israel. Ezra 7.10. There are so many verses in the Bible about the importance of the Bible that you receive and understand it. And again, it's my joy to be a Bible teacher. The keeping of God's word, the understanding of God's word. Now, thirdly, thirdly, the influencing, the influencing of God's word, the influencing of God's word, verse 17. Sanctify or set them apart in truth because... Your word is truth. Previously in the, in the upper room, John chapter 15, verse 3, Jesus said, You are clean because of the word, that is, because of the Bible that I have preached unto you. How shall a man cleanse his way? How will a man sanctify his way? By taking heed unto the very word of God. That's Psalm 119, verse 9. There is washing, that's cleansing, Sanctification of water of the word at Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might cleanse her, that is, sanctify her, through washing of the water by the word at Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. The Bible has unbelievable sanctifying power. There's a story of a king who had his castle very, very close to a river. And he had a servant, not the smartest person on planet Earth. But that king wanted to teach his lesson, his servant, a spiritual truth and a spiritual lesson. So he grabbed a bucket that had three holes, three holes in the bottom of the bucket. And he said to the servant, I'm your king. Will you go down to the river and scoop up a bucket of water and return it to me? And the servant did that and brought it back to the king. And, of course, the bucket was empty. The king said, would you please, servant, do that again? And the servant did that, scooped up the water, came back, presented the king a bucket that was empty. 
And the king said for the third time, would you please go to the river, good servant, and scoop up some water and bring it back to me. And the servant did that, gave it to the king, and then tears started falling from the cheeks and the eyes of the servant. And he said, king, I just can't do anything right. I can't even get you a bucket of water. And the king grabbed that bucket, lifted it up to the sun that was high in the heavens, and says, you know what, servant? You, you, you didn't get any water, but you sure do have a clean bucket. You didn't get any water, but you sure do have a clean bucket. Then the king went into his pocket and pulled out a cork, a cork, and plugged one of the three holes. Go to the river and come back. Fourth time, no water. The king went in his pocket, pulled out a second cork, and plugged the second of the three holes. The servant went down, scooped up the water, and it just emptied before he got to the king. The king says, no problem, I have a third cork. Stuck it in. The servant went down, scooped up, and presented to the king a full bucket. Here it is, buddies. Studying the word of God cleanses your soul, whether you know it or not. But more importantly, the more you study the Bible, the more corks God puts in your spiritual bucket. That is powerful. That is powerful. So I know the Bible much better this year than I did 10 years ago. And guess what? 10 years from now, if I'm still alive, I'll know the Bible a lot better than I do now. Because God's pockets are full of corks. He wants you clean. He wants you to be full. Wonderful, wonderful scriptures. And now fourthly and lastly, fourthly and lastly, after the keeping of God's word, the understanding of God's words, the influencing of God's word in sanctification and cleanliness. Now, fourthly and lastly, fourthly and lastly, the preaching of God's word, the preaching of God's word. Verse number 18, as it ends, um, I also have sent them into the world. Verse number 20, if we've looked at this previously, for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, we have an often responsibility and a great opportunity to share the gospel. Second Corinthians 5.19 says, Unto us are committed the word of reconciliation. God, what do you have for me? A peppermint patty. A Hershey's chocolate with almonds. No, I'm committing to you the Bible, the word of reconciliation. Take it. Run with it. Use it to bring people into the kingdom. Have a burden for lost souls because the preaching of the word is that which will get you into heaven as you know only too well. Let us pray. Dear Father, we want to thank you for the Upper Room Discourse. We want to thank you even for today as we follow Christ's example of topics on his prayer list. And as we see the power of the word of God in our own lives, we want to be full rather than empty. And that's why we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.